This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So one of the things that if you've been following the NHL for any length of time, really, uh, but longtime hockey viewers will know this quite well, um, Gary Bettman does not like it when news trumps the game, when uh, the news off the ice um, supplants the headlines from on the ice. And listen, last night that was a crowning, and I shouldn't say crowning, but last night was a command performance by the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they grab a 2-1 to series lead. They beat the Edmonton Oilers by a final score of 5-1. to one. Um, Evander Kane, uh, I know everyone's wondering about what's going to happen here. Is there going to be a suspension? Is there going to be a fine? You know, takes an end-of-period run at Alex Petrangelo, cross-checks him uh, in the head still. I think we're all shaking our heads at that one. But, but nonetheless, on a day like today, after a night like last night, um, that game's going to take a little bit of a back seat here. Again, Vegas up 2-1 to one in the series, two games on the horizon tonight. We'll get to those in a couple of moments, Carolina, New Jersey, Dallas, and Seattle. But uh, the story from last night continues to be the story for today, and there's a couple of other stories for today as well. Uh, but the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, uh, the tank worked, they planned it, they executed it. And they got it. Now, I know a lot of people are upset that at the, uh, at the end of the, uh, the lottery sweepstakes, it was the Chicago Blackhawks as the last team standing. And I get it. Um, it is possible to be upset about that, but also happy for maybe certain people in that organization. And front and center for me is Luke Richardson. Uh, real happy for him now that he has a Ferrari to drive. We'll talk plenty about Connor Bedard today. Uh, Mark Lazarus coming up at the bottom of the hour covers the Hawks for the athletic. Also Jason Bukala, uh, from Sportsnet, one of our draft analysts and his latest piece about, you know, his latest cards are available right now, uh, at our website, former Panthers director of amateur scouting. So Books is going to stop by an hour two. um, also, Elliot stops by an hour or two as well. He's busy this hour, so he's punting until next hour. Uh, Shannon Goldman from The Athletic will, uh, will step into that spot in about 10 minutes' time uh, from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. But um, the Connor Bedard story is just one story for the day. Uh, Boston Bruins news conference. Uh, Jim Montgomery, head coach of the Boston Bruins, amongst other things, mentioning that he botched the goalie situation so an admission from the coach on this one we'll talk about the boston bruins and what's next and the goalie situation uh as as mentioned by jim montgomery also you know you've heard me before on this show and elsewhere television other podcasts radio um mention that i don't cheer for teams i cheer for players and maybe more specifically i cheer for people um, I find it a much much easier way to follow hockey. Now I don't get the highs of uh, of you know winning a Stanley Cup. I don't get to, get to experience that joy from a team point of view since I don't have a, che- a team that I cheer for. The lows are so uh, also aren't that low uh, when you just cheer for people. But right now, Gabriel Landeskog, the news is bad. So Landeskog will miss next season. So twenty three twenty four cartilage replacement. His right knee. Uh, this surgery takes place tomorrow. Gabriel Landeskog will miss the entire 23-24 season. And bluntly, A, it sucks for him, but I hope the recovery is good and hopefully we'll be able to see him back on the ice. And hopefully, best case scenario, we now have a leading candidate for the Bill Masterton Trophy in 2025. But it's my favorite player in the NHL. And I think you've heard me say that probably on on this program before and and elsewhere. Um, As far as, you know, the Gabriel Landeskog fan club and where it begins, I mean, the lineup begins after me. Uh, I think he's he's my favorite player. To me, he's as close as what I want in a hockey player forward, certainly uh, with a mix of skill and toughness and leadership and all those things that we... Excuse me. That we continue to talk about loving about hockey players. To me, that's Gabriel Landeskog. So this one sucks. Like many of you, we expected him to to miss the regular season, but then show up for the playoffs. And the Kucherov conspiracy theories would run wild about Gabriel Landeskog. Um, but then, as we found out that he wasn't going to play in the playoffs, we said, "Okay, that's fine." Landeskog returns next season. So this information is. Um, as many people have noted, a real gut punch, uh, not just to Avalanche fans, but I think it's a loss for all hockey fans as well. Uh, in the meantime, two games tonight, the uh, the Devils face off against Carolina Hurricanes. Seattle faces off 
against the Dallas Stars. Uh, before we get to Shannon Goldman, Matt Marchese, our producer, joining me for a few minutes here to kick off the broadcast. How did you greet the Connor Bedard news yesterday, young producer? I young, thank you. Um, I was I was yeah. really cheering. Well, multiple. Yeah, I, I had a I had a a work related um, slant to mine, and then I had a personal related slant. I was hoping for personal reasons, yeah. just because I don't know. It's the Ducks. Like everybody grew up with the Mighty Ducks, and you know <laughs> that was the team. That was the first house league yeah. jersey that I wore was the Ducks. Um, oh wow! And so I was kind of cheering for them to get it. And I have a couple friends who are Ducks fans. Um, but from a personal standpoint. I was hoping that maybe possibly the Columbus Blue Jackets would get it because firstly, I would love to see Columbus get a star. Um, secondly, I love their PR department and they have Johnny Gaudreau. Almost... They have Johnny yeah, Gaudreau. Know, they but... just they just they just got a star last summer. They have Johnny Gaudreau. I, I know, but but they, they get it's to hard to keep Lina. them. It's hard to keep them in a lot of cases. <laughs> At least with Connor Bedard, oh. they would have him for a bit. Um, and I love the PR staff there. Uh, Todd Rock is, is one of my favorite people in this business. So I was kind of hoping for them. Yep. Um, but the Blackhawks, I mean, listen, we've seen all the vitriol across Twitter. And at the end of the day, people can say yep. whatever they want. Because, listen, the Blackhawks did a lot of bad things. But Connor Bedard going to the Chicago Blackhawks is good for business. It's good for the NHL when the Chicago Blackhawks are good. And based on what we saw in ticket sales with the Chicago Blackhawks yesterday, mm, I think it'll be just fine mm-hmm. from a business standpoint. From, an, from a life standpoint and your personal feelings, I get it. I know. I, uh, I, I understand why people are upset about this one. Um, to your point about this being probably the best case scenario for the NHL, it is. Um, and I'll tell you what, the, the other thing that I was thinking about yesterday when, you know, the big reveal came and it was, you know, Blackhawks first overall and the Anaheim Ducks second overall, y- you know who I, I, I could almost hear breathing a sigh of relief? Every general manager in the Eastern Conference, yeah, knowing that Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli will not be playing in the Eastern Conference. Now, I'm sure teams that were, you know, that were, were up to get Connor Bedard would have loved to have had him on their team to sort of hypercharge their their rebuilds here. But I think everybody around the Eastern Conference said, Woof, dodge one there, get him to the other conference. Yeah, and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are still in the West too, last time I checked. So is Nathan McKinnon. So the East does yeah. have its star power, but man, that the, the West is it's pretty good. It's got some star power there. Yeah, it does too. And now it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the Blackhawks behave. Um, you remember two thousand and five when the Pittsburgh Penguins won the lottery? Uh, sorry, Anaheim Ducks. I know that's still a a wound that here we go ripping ripping the bandages and the stitches out again. Uh, when the Pittsburgh Penguins won that lottery and got Sidney Crosby, I mean they loaded up with players around him. Like it was a scramble to grab as many veteran players to surround and shelter and you know shepherd Sidney Crosby into his rookie year in, in the NHL. I'll be really curious to see here what Kyle Davidson does, general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks, and and who he goes shopping for. Um, and all of a sudden, too, now, and I do and I do wonder about Patrick Kane. Remember Patrick Kane saying about five minutes ago, like, nah, Blackhawks are done with me. They're going through a rebuild right now. Uh, all of a sudden, now this rebuild just got, you know, fast-forwarded really fast. I do I do wonder if they're if we could see a return to Chicago for Patrick Kane. I, I'm, I'm saying this based on no knowledge. Haven't talked to anyone in his camp since, uh, since last night. I do just wonder, as I wonder too, now with, according to Cap Friendly, $41 million worth of cap space, Maddie, to play with here. Like, do you go and, uh, and, and load up on players right away? Uh, do you go out to the market this offseason, grab some players, but keep your powder pretty dry, and try to go, you know, fishing in the free agent pool next summer uh, in year two of the Connor Bedard experience with the Chicago Blackhawks. Not exactly sure, but I think it's pretty safe to say everything now obviously will be done uh, around Connor Bedard. And I think that probably starts this offseason with grabbing as many established players as possible. Like the Blackhawks have a really impressive pipeline. And they do on the on the back end specifically, uh, whether it's Kevin Korczynski, uh, whether it's Ethan uh, Ethan Del Mastro. Like, there's some really good players on the horizon here. Frank Nazar uh, as well um, from Michigan. Like, there's some good players coming. Uh, 
uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks. There's some good players that are already there. No one's moving the needle. Drew Camesso as well, the netminder at BU. Like, there's some good players coming. No one's moving the needle like Bedard. But now I wonder about... Like, I'll be honest with you, Maddie. I wonder about them starting to turn draft capital now into actual players. You know, they've got two first-round picks. I think they have three second-round picks as well. Now that you have Bedard in the mix, everything in the organization is of the service and to the service of making sure this guy's insulated um, and helped in his rookie season. So we'll talk more about Connor Bedard here, Maddie, um, coming up at the bottom of the hour with Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Elliot Friedman stops by to kick off hour two. Um, had a, an engagement here from, from noon to one Eastern, so he'll join us at one o'clock. Um, Jason Bukala from uh, Sportsnet, uh, former Panthers director of amateur scouting. Uh, his top 60 list was released over the weekend, so we'll get into that with Books starting uh, obviously with Connor Bedard, and now that he's with Chicago, what does that mean for Everybody else, most notably Anaheim and Columbus, uh, two and three um, at the uh, at the uh, at the draft in Nashville, should probably park some time and talk about other prospects, whether it's Leo Carlson and maybe the most interesting one, because I have no idea who's going to grab him because he's not going to become available for a number of years to say nothing of how his 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 development may be impacted considering Russia's banned from all international tournaments. And that's Matt Vemichkov. So we'll talk to Jason Bukla about that coming up in hour two. Um, standing by for Shannon Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. We're going to get to her here in a couple of moments. And uh, and that's the program. And uh, there's going to be a lot. Don't worry, we're going to get to the games because, as we mentioned, games should be at the forefront. But when you have a situation where Bedard is ending up going to Chicago, Gabriel Landeskog out for another season as your boy loses his favorite player for yet another year. And Jim Montgomery saying, mea culpa, I botched the goalie situation uh, in the playoffs. There's a lot to chew on here. Uh, Shana Goldman joins me now. Shana, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I am well. Um, I want to I want to bracket for a second here the Bedard conversation with with Chicago, and we'll get to the the, the draft lottery from last night in a couple of moments. But um, quick thought on Gabriel Landeskog and the Colorado Avalanche. Now, I guess the sidebar to this is the Avalanche now have certainty on Landeskog. They know that he's not playing next season, so they can LTIR him and they can use that cap space knowing that there's not going to be some type of miracle return. He's not going to, you know, Lourdes in the off season and bathing in holy water and returning, you know, 100% like he's, you know, playing in the NHL and he's 19 years old again. Um, How do you read the avalanche situation now that they know that Landis Gog is capital O U T? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is having the certainty, right, and building a plan because going into this year, the plan that they had revolved around the support of their wingers. It's fine that we didn't replace Nazem Kadri. It's fine that we didn't jump at a second-line center because we are going to have great elite second-line wingers to balance out that combination when Landis Cobb returns. Mm -hmm. And then at the deadline, they didn't make moves because that return was still pending, it seemed. Now they have the certainty. Is the certainty bad? Absolutely. It's a huge loss. He's a great player for them, and you're not going to find a replacement yeah. for him. You know, players like Landis Gog don't grow on trees. If you want elite talent, you probably have to draft and develop it or spot it somewhere and develop it. You don't just add that, especially if you don't have a ton of assets or a ton of cap space. So now they have an answer. So they can better build their lineup. That might force them to say, well, now we need to take a better look at that second line center position. We don't have the center certainty on wing. Or maybe now we need to look at our winger depth yeah. a little bit differently. So it helps the planning process, but the result is still bad. Uh, yeah, the the result just flat out stinks. I mean, we all know how good a player um, Landis Gog is here. Uh, and, you know, we're going to find out here in a couple of moments. Um, Chris McFarlane, who's the, the general manager of the – uh, of the Colorado Avalanche is going to be talking, and we'll get uh, a further update here, too. And then, you know, when you focus on Colorado, too, there's the Valeria Nachushkin situation, and we don't know what's going to happen there. This is turning into just a, you know, a, a real rough season after winning the Stanley Cup for the Avalanche. We'll see which direction they go. Now, to the game last night, Vegas and Edmonton. And this series, like, good luck getting a read from game to game. Um, two games in a row, blowouts, but one for the Oilers, one for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Jonathan Marcheseau with a pair yesterday. 
uh, Evander Kane with one of those moments that you look at and you shake your head and you say, is he really doing this during the playoffs? Um, an injury to Laurent Boissois. We saw Aiden Hill come on and, and play really well. Uh, Stuart Skinner gets pulled. Jack Campbell comes in. How do you see this series so far, Shana? Yeah, the series has a lot of chaos. You kind of have to. I think the series with these blowout games are so hard to to evaluate because the results are so drastically different. But I think the one thing that stands out to me through three games, including that blowout win for the Oilers, is just that the five on five play for Edmonton isn't where it needs to be. And it, you know, Vegas is a team you can't afford that with. You know, it's a team that they have weapons that others don't. They have the. It, they don't have the edge because we all know Edmonton has Connor McDavid and Leandre Saddle. No one can compare to that, but Vegas has a way to try to contain them because they have the two different shutdown options up front. You have Mark Stone, though not at 100%. You still have Mark Stone, and that's better than a lot of forwards in this league. And you have, you know, William Carlton. And then on the back end, you have Jay Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. So having that combination, you know, those options really help because. Vegas can pair one of the forwards with the defenseman to take on a stack line if Edmonton goes that way, which they have, and then they can break them up and, you know, play the matchup game too. But it just feels like the Oilers are a better team than they've shown at 5-on-5 so far this series, and Vegas is doing a really good job containing them. So that's something that has to change if the Oilers want to even out the series and, you know, not just rely on the power play. Just me, or are we seeing Eichel? I mean, the the first game of the playoffs uh, was nothing to write home about for Jack Eichel, his first playoff game, and performed maybe as expected as someone who's you know not used to playing in the playoffs. Um, but as the games go on and the days go by, and we saw it yesterday, and an unfortunate sort of gaffe by Evan Bouchard in the neutral zone leading to that two-on-one as he wipes out. But still, are we seeing Jack Eichel gain more and more confidence as the games go on here? What have you seen out of number nine? Yeah, so last night, you know, he's coming off one of his best games of the entire year. He had a 4.5 game score, which is huge for him. That's his fourth best single game score of the entire year. And then if you average it out, you know, among the playoffs, it stands out Mm -hmm. with the top players, both on the league and in Vegas. It feels like there was a lot of pressure on him to rise to the occasion first postseason. And it was like so crazy to think we're talking about him as a potential breakout star. But it feels like, as, like you said, as the playoffs have gone on, he's looked better and better. And there were, it took some, you know, line mixing to do it. I, I was a little concerned with Barbashev going back on that top line for the playoffs because their underlying numbers were pretty poor, even though the results were there. But it feels like even they found their footing. Mm-hmm. So. You know, he's not the only threat on that line, and he doesn't have to be the focal point of the Golden Knights. Mark Stone's going to be that. You know, healthy or not, he's going to be that. And oh, I think yeah. that does help, too. But it just feels like last night was a really big opportunity for him to put his stamp on the series when we've been talking about Connor McDavid throughout the playoffs, throughout the entire year. And he he rose to the occasion and was a key part of that win, him with March, though. So it's a really good thing for Vegas to have because it feels like on each line combination – it's not that they have like trios that are the game breakers. It's pairs. It's, you know, March to Eichel. It's Stevenson with yep. Stone and it's Smith with Carlson. The fact that the Eichel combination, that pairing is one they can rely on, I think it's huge for them. Um, what do you make of the Boursois injury now? We have no idea how long he's going to be out. Um, listen, Aiden Hill came in yesterday and did real well. Um, and we've seen that before from Aiden Hill, although I don't think anyone had on their bingo card. Uh, Aiden Hill leads the Vegas Golden Knights uh, to the Stanley Cup final. But still, um, you know, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how does this injury loom for the Vegas Golden Knights? And it's one of those injuries where... As soon as you see it and you see the reaction from the netminder and you see what happens as soon as he stands up and takes that first stride, like you just cringe because you can see it and we've seen it so many times before. It's those types of injuries where you just say, oh, this one looks like it's a bad one. Yeah, the non-contact injury, you immediately have to cringe at oh, if the player's that oh. hurt. You, like, you know it's bad. Um, I'm going to rate that a 5 out of 10 because... The Golden Knights, like, their strength in a way is that they haven't needed perfect goaltending this year, right? Like, last year we talked about it all the time. If this team just had good goaltending, where would they be? If they had more consistency, if they had a healthy net, it would be different. This year it's been a little bit different because it's been a little bit more of, like, a rotating net of who's starting when because of injuries. The show has been great, though. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're not going to have him obviously hurts. He's been 
more reliable than I think a lot of us could have anticipated. But then again, this postseason, like, who among us can anticipate what's gone on with goaltending? But with this, like, you, it's so tough because Aiden Hill hasn't played since, what, like March 7th? And here he comes into the game cold, and he was very good. And that's a good confidence booster. And it could get into the Oilers' heads a little bit because it's not like you're studying one goalie's tendencies now. Now there's, you know, all different options to kind of explore, and there's not as big of a book on Aiden Hill as there is on another goalie that's a little bit more, you know, well-known and at, at this point and established. It helps that they have the options, but, you know, I, I like that it's Aiden Hill. I like that it's a smaller name for Vegas because we know them for the big, flashy names, and they have that in Jonathan Quick, and I feel like that yep. could be so tempting. But we know he's had one good season in five years. The fact that they have the confidence in Aiden Hill, I think that's promising, and they've been able to go with these smaller-name goaltenders and just support the crease with some really good defense, which they've had in this series, and some strong offense, which they've also had in this series. Like, that's a recipe for success. You can get by in the playoffs with average or slightly below average goaltending. The Avalanche did last year. You need to be outstanding in front of the net. Mm -hmm. If they can keep that up, they'll be in okay shape. And they're getting better than average goaltending. So as long as that can keep up, I think they're in pretty good shape. I want to ask you about two teams. Got a few minutes left here with you. I want to ask you about the New Jersey Devils, and I want to ask you about the Seattle Kraken. So hold on to your Kraken thoughts here in a second. Um, New Jersey Devils back at it tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes, looking to pull even. Now, really, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen from game to game with any of these games. Who saw an 8-4 game coming in this series? But there it was. I don't, Shana, think there's going to be another 8-4 game, but I really don't know. Um, but your thoughts on how New Jersey jumped back into this one. Um, we're seeing command performances now by Jack Hughes. Um, you know, weird in that game, I never thought I would see a game where a team would score three shorthanded goals and lose, but there it was with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Luke Hughes enters the chat. Luke Hughes with two assists. Luke Hughes back in tonight for the uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Sounds like they're going to go 11-7 and seven, uh, this evening. We'll find out about Ryan Graves. He'll be a game-time decision. But what do you look for tonight as New Jersey tries to pull even with Carolina? I... Well, I'm hoping for a close game. I'm very, I'm over these blowouts. We're not able to learn enough about these games from blowouts. I want to know, like I have specific questions I want answered from the series and it's, they're making it impossible uh, because it's so much right. chaos. And then it's, you know, it's, it's not super exciting, but for the devils, they were the better five on five team in game three. And that was really important because we're going to, you know, we look at these two teams and it's two of the best five on five teams from the regular season and from round one. And they get there in such different ways. So it's all about this battle of the best forecheck, the most aggressive team, the system that literally anybody like Mackenzie Mathieron can step into the top line and succeed because they have that foundation versus the best rush-based team, which is something people are going to question, does it work in the playoffs? It's so intriguing to me, this series. I just want to see it a little bit more. Um, But for the Devils, You know, the key is going to be getting away from the matchup game a little bit that the Canes are really good with on home ice. It's it's keeping Jack Hughes away from Jordan Stahl because Jordan Stahl has done a really good job containing Hughes after he did Barzell. And, you know, obviously they need him clicking on all cylinders. I think in their head-to-head minutes, the Devils only have like 44% of the expected goal share against Jordan Stahl, which is less than ideal. But the weapon Mm -hmm. that New Jersey has is that he's not their only player to watch. You have... Nico Hishier, who can play that two-way game um, and brings a little bit more offense with the shutdown defense. So, you know, he, I think, is the player to watch tonight because it's all about where they put him, who they put him up against, and how he can try to dominate play. And, you know, like the Vegas series, the goaltending doesn't matter that much. You have two teams with three goalie options. You don't know who they're going to go with, and you don't know if it's going to be good. Uh, The Devils haven't gotten a single quality start from a goaltender this series. So, you know... Who knows where that's going to go? You know, there is uh, there is still that specula- speculation out there. Like, do we have a, uh, a Mackenzie Blackwood sighting? Would that surprise you? No, you can't. <laughs> it would surprise me so much so because in the, you know, the net was his to lose this year. He lost it. Yes, there were some injuries along the way, but the inconsistent play when he was healthy, I don't think you can trust it. It's yeah. not that they have incredible options. Akira Schmidt, 
was great in the regular season when he played. He was very good last year behind chaos, and he was good in the playoffs up to this series. Banachek, you have someone who is very good until the workload it seemed like started weighing on him. Both are still superior options, I would say. All right, we'll uh, we'll stand by to find out uh, that one. There's two games on the board tonight around the NHL. Um, as you just mentioned, New Jersey Devils look to believe with the Carolina Hurricanes. That one at seven Eastern, nine thirty Eastern. It is the Dallas Stars and the should we say surprising Seattle Kraken chain. I mean, we've watched them all year. That that win streak in in Jan- the road win streak in January um, to me cemented just how good this team is. And I don't think I'm in the minority on that either. Um, you know, this is a team. Seattle that you know doesn't have any superstars. I think Matty Beneers is going to be a superstar one day. Um, he's not there yet, but you you see where this thing is heading. Um, they do everything by committee. They do everything fast. Like this is a team that drags you to deep water quickly. Like opening puck drop, they drag you into deep water and say, "Let's tread water out here. How long can you last? Because we can go the full sixty and maybe even more." if we have to go into overtime. What do you think of what we're seeing from the second-year Seattle Kraken right now? The disruptors of the league. Like, it's so fun. It's so exciting. (laughs) Um, What we're seeing is a challenge of everything we know it takes to be successful in the playoffs, and I absolutely love it. You don't need a perfect power play, the Seattle Kraken say, because you, as long as you can balance it out with your penalty kill. And, they had a really aggressive penalty kill during the regular season. It hasn't been that perfectly in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Not against Colorado. It was really goaltending. But they've kept the Stars just one power play goal, you know, thanks to Grubauer. They've challenged what we think about star power at even strength, that that's what you need to win. And everything tells us to this point that's what you need to win. You need star power. That outweighs depth. And the Kraken are coming in with, I think, 16 unique goal scorers now. And they're just shaking yes. things up. They have contributions from everywhere. And it's it's really interesting, too, because we're talking the goalie conversation. Who thought that Jake Ottinger would be the worst goalie in the series to Philip Grubauer? He's struggled a ton in this series so far. So this series, I just think, is challenging what we know about the Kraken, about the Stars. And it's putting a really interesting test together for the Stars. Like, when they're succeeding, we see a lot of tips and deflections and goals like that to challenge uh, grew our a bit more, but at five on five, they're doing a pretty good job containing Jason Robertson. So, are we going to be surprised if we see Pavelski yeah. in that, you know, on that line combination again? Probably not. And then it'll be a, an even bigger test of the star powered line again, you know, the collection of Kraken that are forechecking and working as hard as they can to, you know, stay in the series, to lead the series. Yeah, you know, I, I do wonder about the Pavelski thing as well with Dallas. You know, I had someone that I was talking to a couple of days ago about it who said to me, and, and this is a coach who said, listen, if I'm, uh, if I'm the Dallas Stars, if I'm Pete DeBoer, I don't start with Pavelski on that line. But at some point, I start putting Pavelski on that line and force Seattle to make their adjustment. I want to force. I want to force them to make decisions and force them to make adjustments. Not, not you know, go into the game knowing Joe Pavelski's. You know, hey, he's taking line rushes on the top line. He's going to be on there, so we'll act accordingly. And that's a. It, it's interesting. It's that that game within the game. We'll see what Pete DeBoer does um, tonight. Uh, final thought on, and I'm going to talk to your colleague Mark Lazarus at the Athletic here in a couple of moments more about it. Um, Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks winning the lottery and the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. I think every general manager in the East is saying, phew, um, Connor Bedard is in the West and most likely Adam Fantilli is in the West as well. Uh, Your thoughts on what we saw last night? Honestly, uh, I don't like anything about it. It's, you know, I get it. The Blackhawks need to move forward and move on. I, I really don't think they should have had this first round pick. I think the first available first round pick they had should have been taken away from them. So I, I struggle with that a bit. And there's the fact that they were the team that outright tanked to get here. It, it To me, it's just like a bitter taste. But it's, look, this is huge for Chicago to have like a potential game-breaking player to, to usher in the new era because what they've done so far in their rebuild isn't exactly great or grand. I think other teams have put it together a little better. Um, it's unfortunate for teams like Columbus that actually tried and just everything broke and that's why they're here. You know, they didn't intentionally want to be here and it's tough for a team like Anaheim that's been going through the long haul of their process too. But this is, 
this is a huge moment for Chicago, and it's going to be really interesting because I think we've been spoiled by first overall picks in recent years with the Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid's of the world that when anybody yeah. slips up, we're, everyone's so quick to jump on, you know, this player. If they're a bust, you know, you look at Jack Hughes in year one, yeah. you could definitely say that, and I don't think anyone's thinking that right now. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, how, how this goes because he's not going to a team where he's going to have a ton of support off the bat anyway. We have. I, I do wonder what Kyle Davidson does in the off season too. Like when Crosby showed up, I had a really bad Pittsburgh Penguins team. Crosby shows up, and they they win the lottery, and all of a sudden it was bring in as many veterans as possible. It was like right away we need to get good really fast because we just got Sidney Crosby. I wonder if Kyle Davidson does the same thing, if not a similar thing here uh, with the Hawks. Uh, we shall see. Shana, you're the goods. Uh, as always, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me in the bestie spot today. <laughs> in the what spot? In the bestie spot. I'm in the bestie spot starting off the show. It's 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 really an honor. When whenever you're on the show, it's the bestie spot. If anybody has listened to your appearances <laughs> on this program for the past two years, it's always the bestie spot. You be well, Shana. We'll talk soon. Thanks. You too. There she is. Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. Um, She's awesome. Uh, and so is Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Uh, we'll drill right down here on the Bedard situation and what this means for the Blackhawks and ideas going forward, not just with Connor Bedard, but, you know, the future of the Chicago Blackhawks organization. You know, as Shana mentioned, there are plenty of people who thought that, you know, the $2 million fine um, was not enough uh, for the Kyle Beach uh, situation and, and sexual assault. Um, and that there should have been more. There should have been a draft pick penalty along with this as well, and I think that's why this is distasteful for a lot of people. Um, We'll get into that with Mark Lazarus in a couple of seconds, what this means for the Hawks on the ice, off the ice as well. And, you know, now with Jonathan Taves gone, Patrick Kane gone, comma, we think... What does this mean for the new-look Chicago Blackhawks? What might come along with this? And do you think that might include a logo change? We'll see. Mark Lazarus in moments from The Athletic on the Bedard phenomenon in Chicago. Winners of the NHL lottery. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Elliot Friedman stops by to kick off Hour 2. Had an appointment in Hour 1, so we'll kick off Hour 2. Also at the bottom of uh, the hour in Hour 2, Jason Bukala, former Panthers Director of Amateur Scouting, will stop by. He's been with us in Sportsnet now for a couple of years, and his top 60 list for prospects came out over the weekend. We'll get into that, and surprise, surprise, Connor Bedard is number one. And surprise, surprise, after the lottery, Connor Bedard will now become a member of the Chicago Blackhawks uh, when the draft takes place in June in Nashville. Here for thoughts on the Bedard phenomenon in Chicago uh, is our friend Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Mark Merrick here. How are you? I'm good, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm well. So uh, I guess we'll start wide brush here and then sort of drill down to some more of the uh, some more of the Pacifics, as we say in the Atlantic. Um, the reaction yesterday, uh, in the market itself, like we all know, like what this is going to mean for ticket sales and Jersey sales and already having jerseys printed, et cetera, et cetera. But give us a sense of just how this, how big this is in Chicago, Bedard becomes a Blackhawk. Well, outside of Chicago, obviously everybody is happy for the Blackhawks organization. This is exactly how everybody (laughs) wanted it to play out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> within chicago in new york are, city that are pretty happy about this though Mark. okay that's true in Secaucus, they're stoked they're definitely stoked in Secaucus. yeah um in, in chicago people are losing their minds right i mean it's been eight whole years yeah. since the blackhawks uh won a playoff series uh and i, I know that you you know mm. in toronto they don't know anything about things like that eight years is forever and um it's been sure. a bleak few years i know nobody feels bad for the blackhawks but it's been a pretty bleak few years and everyone was bracing for the next few to be just as bad, if not even worse, than this last one. And then all of a sudden you get this burst of hope and excitement where you get uh, a young phenom who's going to be your number one center or top-line winger, and 
all of a sudden you start looking at the pieces and there's Bedard and he's next to Reichel and you got Kevin Korchinski as your number one defenseman and you got Seth Jones as your number two defenseman. You start putting in the prospect and Frank Nazer gets in there and they've got five number one draft picks in the next three drafts and you start thinking, well, maybe this could actually work. Maybe Kyle Davidson's plan was right and maybe, you know, it's amazing how a few ping pong balls can just change the entire narrative around a franchise just like that. Mm-hmm. And and it really will. Um, and the the one thing that I think that we wonder about now with some forty one million dollars of cap space, according to Cap Friendly, to play with in this off season. You know, I can recall. I think we all can. When the Pittsburgh Penguins got Sidney Crosby and, and won that lottery right away, they went around surrounding him. They went by, you know, surrounding him with as many veteran players as possible. Um, how do you think Davidson, Kyle Davidson, reacts here? Um, does he spend, spend, spend this off season, or does he keep the powder dry a little bit and maybe wait until season two to really start to, to fill out this roster with free agents? Or does he I mean, just bluntly does he just go shopping as soon as he can on July first? Well, he's not going to go. I mean, he, he, he can't go out there and sign anyone to like a six-year contract at this point. Like anyone he signs is going to be a temporary stopgap until all their guys come in, all those picks pay off. I mean, don't forget now, in three years from now, Kevin Korchinski and Connor Bedard are going to be due big raises. And you have to start thinking about down the road if they're going to get McDavid and McCarr money, and that's the, that's the dream scenario that they're worth that. You have to play that long game. You can't yeah. just start throwing money around willy-nilly right now. So you're going to see a lot of one and two year kind of contract signed. I think you know they'd love to probably have Max Domi back if if he, if he wants to leave Dallas. And the beauty of what the Blackhawks have is they can overpay these guys. So if you just want to get you know a couple yeah. extra million dollars for a one year deal, come to Chicago. They've got the money. They have to spend the money just to get to the cap floor. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you can see guys like you know this free agent pool isn't very exciting. It's not a great summer to have all this money. Oh. So I don't think it's going to be too exciting. Maybe they bring Andreas Athanasiu back. He, he clicked with Lucas Reichel, who is going to be Connor Bedard's left wing. Uh, maybe you want a banger. Maybe you see if Tyler Bertuzzi wants to come over for a couple of years and test things out. You can overpay anyone you want to get someone to come to Chicago right now. So I think that's what you're going to see. It's going to be kind of, kind of those short-term deals where a veteran says, you know what, I can go play with this kid for a year, bump up my numbers, and go get paid somewhere else next year. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any chance? And, and again, I've, I'm 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 just speculating about this. I haven't talked to to anyone in in Patrick Kane's camp at all. But do you think this changes anything with Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks? I don't. I, the Blackhawks they've made it abundantly clear that they're done. They're just done with that era. I don't think there's any. I, like, yeah, of course, Patrick Kane would be a phenomenal, and I, I think it would appeal to Kane even to do that. And Jonathan Taves would be a great mentor for, for Bedard, who's going to be the next big thing for the next base of the franchise for 15 years. The Blackhawks, from what I gather, from what Scott Powers, my, my beat partners gathered too, uh, just have absolutely no interest in even considering that at this point, that there's just not an option, that they've moved on, that they can't bring it back and go through all this again, all the drama, all the uh, you know, histrionics and all that. They just, they're just done with it, and they're, they're moving on. So when Bill Wirtz passed away in 2007, that ushered in a new era with the Chicago Blackhawks and games are on television. Again, that antiquated philosophy vanished and it was a new era Hawks. And we started hearing the 1961 Stanley Cup theme again and here come the Hawks and 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 all of it and everyone started going back in the history books to look at you know Ed Litzenberger's old team from 61 and they won the cup in um in in 2010 won two more and it was a new era of the Blackhawks now with Taves and Kane and as someone pointed out uh, uh to me on Twitter not too long ago the captain really did go down with the ship the last man standing uh was Jonathan Taves now that there is the the this new era this next era of the Chicago Blackhawks, which will be led by Connor Bedard. Are there any other changes you think that the organization is going to make in order to turn the page and sort of catch up with modern tastes? Um, I wonder about the logo. I wonder uh, about I thought that's where you were going. <laughs> uh, you and I have had this. Yeah, you listen, you and I have had this conversation numerous times. There have been a number of moments where the Hawks could have done it and they didn't. And I can't help but thinking, is this not another moment where they can, once again, quote-unquote, do it? You know what I mean? It is. They won't. Um, I I get the sense that as long as Rocky Wirtz is the owner and Danny Wirtz is the CEO, that there doesn't seem to be an appetite. I I know we've talked about this, and I've 
I still firmly believe that, you know, in eight to ten years, there's just absolutely no chance that there's a Native American cartoon head on the jersey of an NHL team. I just can't see it being the case in ten years. I mean, think of how far we've come in ten years in some of these kinds of issues. Yeah. Um, but there's just no appetite for it right now. I mean, you're 100% right. Like, this would be the perfect time to do it, right? Change the goal song. Change the logo. Make Blackhawks two words again. Oh. I mean, you can do anything you want right now. All of it. Rip the Band-Aid off now while there's all this excitement. They just sold... $2.5 million worth of season tickets in 90 minutes last night after the draft lottery. This is your chance for a completely new start. But I just don't get the sense the brand is so strong and so powerful in Chicago and even beyond. It's a global brand that yeah. and this is a billion dollar company. I just, it's, it's, they just don't have the appetite to do it. There's not the motivation. They don't think they have to. They're stubborn about it. Uh, they do a lot of good things in the Native American community and locally. Like they're, they were the first NHL team to do a uh, a land acknowledgement before games. They started that during the COVID season. Like they do a lot of good things. But when it comes down to it, it's still a racist logo, and I have to go at some point. I just don't think that it's it's certainly not going to happen this summer. Ah, we shall see. Um, I, I'm with you. I think eventually it's going to be, uh, eventually the logo is going to vanish and is going to be replaced and we'll look back on it. And I think we'll all say the same thing. What took them so long? But uh, I, again, I, I suppose another conversation for another day. Um, you know, I know that a lot, and you mentioned this off the top, I know a lot of people are pretty upset that it's the Chicago Blackhawks at the end of all of it that get rewarded with Connor Bedard and inflows the, uh, the, the sound of cash registers everywhere. Uh, going off in Chicago, but you know one one person that I'm really happy for here is Luke Richardson. Uh, always been a Luke Richardson fan, like him as a, a person, and this is I think this is a pretty big shot in the arm for for Luke Richardson now that he has you know a Ferrari to drive here. And and he, and he gets vindicated too, right? Because he had that team. This there's this terrible roster that he was dealt with. He had them playing competitive hockey till yeah. the very end, and they they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh when Pittsburgh had everything to play for and Blackhawks fans were all up in arms. Like, how could you win that game? How could you do this to us? Could it drop them from 32nd <laughs> up to 30th? And then it turns out if they don't win that game, they don't win Connor Bedard. Like there's this beautiful little bit of indication that as ugly and, and cynical as this tank was, the, the, the least tanky thing they did all year, put them in the exact spot they needed to be in order to get those ping pong balls to fall their way. I, I like, I, I'm glad that it worked out that way. Cause the, uh, the, the reaction to that game in Chicago, it was just apoplectic here about winning that game. It yeah. was worse here than it was in Pittsburgh, I think. And, you know, for that to have been made a well, difference yeah. in this is really kind of cool. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I'll, I'll go you one further. You know, uh, Steve Fellin over at Sportsnet Stats put this one out last night. You know, the, the, the sidebar to that as well is that that opened up the path for the Florida Panthers to make the playoffs. And who knows, like the Florida Panthers are on the verge of sweeping the Maple Leafs here. I'm not sure how you feel about the Panthers, but I'm getting a 2012 Los Angeles Kings vibe uh, oh, yeah. very much off the Florida Panthers right now. And like, if they could go all the way and win the Stanley Cup, like that may have been, you know, the most important regular season game we've seen in how long? Because it got the Blackhawks Bedard <laughs> and may end up getting the Florida Panthers the Stanley Cup. When has that ever happened with one game in the regular season? I love that, too. There's the sliding doors moments of, of, of how, like, well, what if this one play didn't happen? What if this one penalty call didn't happen? All the ripple effect, you know, a butterfly right. flaps his wings in Vancouver and the Florida Panthers make the playoffs. It's, you know, I, I, I love that stuff. And it, it, it's why, you know, especially when you're covering a tanking season and everyone, every, every win people were freaking out about. I'm like, you don't know. This might be the thing that works out. It might be the thing that costs them. We, there's no way of knowing. Yeah. So freaking out over every win it's, it, it's, it's a bad way of doing it. And like go, to go back to Luke Richardson, he's there creating a culture with some of these young guys who are going to be here for the long term. You know, the, 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 the real youth movement hasn't happened yet. It's going to start happening this year. Uh, he's creating a culture where, yeah. you know, losing is not acceptable no matter how bad you are. And how can that be a bad thing to have yeah. a team that works hard, that forechecks aggressively, that's built on speed, and that tries to win no matter what? Even when the fans don't want you to win, they try to win. How can that be bad in the long run? <laughs> so, so here becomes a question then, Mark, and I, and I agree with you. Um, here becomes a question. What are expectations for next season? Like, I, I know when we're dealing with someone like Connor Bedard, 
Um, we tend to get ahead of ourselves. Like I, I think that we're almost at the place where, you know, we've already shot past, you know, whatever he's going to do in the NHL. And we're already talking about, you know, what his plaque is going to look like at Young in yeah. Front in downtown Toronto with the Hockey Hall of Fame here. But, and, you know, by the time, you know, by the time the Chicago Blackhawks actually make the announcement, we'll be talking about how he invented oxygen or a new type of oxygen <laughs> in Chicago that's exclusive <laughs> to Blackhawks fans somehow. Uh, but but what should expectations be next season, Mark, do you think? I always try to temper expect for kids, like, okay, everybody calm down. Every, NHL is a hard league. <laughs> like, all these players are excellent. But, you know, what do you think realistic expectations are for Bedard and for the Blackhawks' spot in the Central Division? The Blackhawks are going to be terrible. Terrible. They're going to be terrible. Like, like this year, but before the draft lottery, like, we were, we were talking, like, Next year might be even worse than this year, and it won't even be like intentional. Like the the, the rosters that, you know, just bare at this mm-hmm. point. No Kane, no Taves, no a lot of these guys. Uh, but Dard makes it not matter that they're going to be terrible. It makes them interesting. It makes them exciting. You get something to cling to, and you bring in Kevin Korczynski probably to to be on the back end. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter so much that they're going to be terrible. This is just part of the process now. You know now you know now the 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 the, the good years don't feel five or six years away. They feel two, three, four years away. You look at the Devils. They were like, what, a 65-point team last year? They're great now. Like, that can happen. You can make that leap once you start putting this kind of talent into the system. Now, Bedard, I wrote a whole column today about, like, let's pump the brakes on Bedard, and I wrote that before I knew Chicago was going to get it, yep. so all Chicago fans are mad at me now. But, you know, you look around the <laughs> league, you you know, 100-point guys, there's like 19, 90-point guys, there's 19, 40-goal scorers. If Connor Bedard becomes yeah. Jason Robertson, is that good enough? If he becomes David Pasternak, is that good enough? Does he have to be Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby in order to live up to the hype that we've already put on this kid like you're talking about? Like, what if he just goes out there? Mm-hmm. You know, people keep saying he's like the closest comp is Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane had more than 73 points one time in his first eight seasons. He's the greatest American player that ever lived. Mm-hmm. He's got three cups and a con Smythe. Is that enough? Like, what are, the, what are the expectations we're putting on this kid? You know, he's 17. He's not even 18 yet. You know, let, let me, um, I said, I just bluntly expectations are going to be super high and people are going to be totally carried away with this. Um, you know, expectations will be, you know, that he wins the rookie of the year. Uh, I, I still can't see people, even though I, I know that people get carried away with it. I don't think any sane person will look at this and say, you know, with Connor Bedard and what, however, you know, um, however Chicago fills out the roster, that there'll be a playoff team in a very competitive central division. But I get the feeling that people are going to expect this team to be at least a little bit better. You know, I don't know that playoffs are on the table for a couple of years here, but do you not get the sense, and I only got about 60 seconds here with you left, um, but do you not get the expectations that, and again, it's it's still, or it's still early here, it's not even 24 hours, but the expectation is this is going to team that, even though they will probably still be bad, should at least be a little bit better because of Bedard and whatever well, the agents act- come in? I, I, I mean, they were actively trying to lose this whole season. So, God, I hope so, right? You hope they're going to be better. But yeah. when you look at all the, the veterans that they lost, they lost some good players. There's a reason they got all these number one picks. Like this, even with Connor yeah. Bedard, this might be a 50-something point team again next year. We have to be ready for that. Um, real quick, uh, do you think they take some of these picks and start to turn them into actual player capital here, from draft capital to player capital? I think now that they got Bedard, yes, they can start doing that. I mean, Kyle Davidson even alluded to that yesterday. Um, you know, they have you know, multiple yeah. first-round picks in, like, 2025. You know, maybe in the trade deadline, not this coming year, but the following year, if they're on the verge, maybe that's when you start packaging them and getting real players out of them. Interesting. Uh, you're so fantastic. Thanks so much for this. Always appreciate it. Uh, Mark, it's uh, it's never a dull day covering the Blackhawks. And listen, the news from yesterday just made it that much more exciting and interesting to follow with had lots uh, of different avenues you can go down. Thanks as always, Mark. I appreciate it, pal. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. There he is, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks win the NHL draft lottery. One of the most heralded and viewed and speculated on lotteries of all time. I, I do feel bad for Anaheim. You just want to see them win one of these things once. Feel bad for Columbus. How long have they wanted and tried to get a legit first line center on that team? Again, like I was saying yesterday, that goes back to the Doug McLean era. 
of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, coming up an hour or two, more on the uh, the Chicago Bedard situation with Jason Bukla. In the meantime, Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night and 32 Thoughts kicks off hour two of the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. I'm back in a moment. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so a couple of things to go over here with uh, my next guest, Jason Bukla, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers, been with us now for a couple of years on Sportsnet. One is his uh, are his cards on the weekend, which I really love, um, starting with Connor Bedard, uh, and also uh, him and Sam Cosentino with their top sixteen mock draft after the uh, Connor Bedard lottery yesterday. Jason Bukla joins me now. Books, how are you, pal? Doing fantastic, Jeffrey. How are you, my man? Uh, I am doing very well. Uh, the Connor Bedard phenomenon in Chicago. And, you know, we saw the, the news about, you know, the millions of dollars already earned uh, by the Blackhawks in ticket sales, phones ringing off the hook, um, you know, uh, ticket orders in, you know, by phone, ticket orders in digitally. Uh, we all know what this is going to mean for the cash box of the Chicago Blackhawks. But give us a sense of what, you know, the Connor Bedard can do for an organization, obviously, specifically one that's really taken this thing, you know, even though they have some some really high end talent on the horizon, you know, they've really like they've really taken Luke Richardson's team right down to the nuts and bolts. Uh, how much does this sort of supercharge any kind of rebuild, Books? Oh, I think that of all the teams that could have won the lottery, that this is probably the team that's going to be the slowest to arrive. Um, you know, uh, the uptick will be a little bit more of a slow build. I, I don't, I don't see that their depth, uh, but let, let's be honest, like Chicago's Chicago's bare bones right now, right to the, as you put it, you know, yeah. right down to the studs. Yeah. So um, the support around him there compared to what he would have landed in Anaheim or even Columbus for that matter. Um, or, and then we can go even further down. I guess I could argue San Jose would have been closer to Chicago, but still, a little bit more. It's going to be slower for, for Bedard to have the impact in Chicago than some of the other teams. Um, so hopefully the uh, the people buying the tickets and spending the money and buying the jerseys are realistic about where the team is, and it's not just going to be him, um, you know, piggybacking the entire organization on his back immediately. You know, we saw um, uh, certainly, you know, casual fans saw plenty uh, of Connor Bedard, the World Juniors this year, where he was exceptional. Uh, fans of the Western Hockey League, you know, saw, you know, Connor Bedard pretty much take the Regina Pats, you know, with all the respect to all of his, his teammates, you know, to take the Regina Pats on his back. Uh, and they almost beat the Saskatoon Blades in that in that opening round. Um, people are well familiar with, with Connor Bedard at the junior level. But I don't need to tell you how difficult a step that is going from junior right into the NHL. You know, what are your expectations? You know, it's one thing, you know, we, we look at the Chicago Blackhawks and say, okay, so they'll probably be a little bit better as a team. But I always try to, you know, tell people to pump the brakes and, you know, temper expectations for rookies in the NHL, knowing how hard a league it is, no matter how dynamic and talented as Connor Bedard may be. What do you think is realistic? Like, as we look at Connor Bedard, first year in the NHL, we did this with McDavid, we did this with Crosby, we did this with Matthews, etc. What do you think is realistic as, a, as an expectation for him next year? Well, I think that we got to look at it two different ways. First of all, I still think that they're on the slow build here. It's going to be a slow burn um, to get to where they want with their prospect pool. So I think they're going to be a bad team for at least another cycle, maybe two cycles. Um, having said that, as you know, they have a lot of money to spend in free agency if they wanted to expedite the process. So um, I would, uh, my, my target, if he landed in Anaheim, I, I thought he could be a 70-point guy. In, in Chicago, I'm leaning uh, 55 to 58 points on projection. Um, it's going to be harder for him at even strength to find space. Let's be honest, there's not a lot of protection there. But he'll go to work on the power play. And he'll be dynamic in uh, in overtime and four on fours and, and these other types of scenarios. So, I think it's realistic. Call it fifty five to sixty. 
but uh, he's going to get worn out a little bit more in Chicago than some of these other spots. You know, I, I am curious to see what they do in the off season. I'm, I'm curious what Kyle Davidson does here to try to try to help the kid, um, not just necessarily by way of you know talent that he brings around him, and that's certainly you know at, at the at the top of everyone's mind right now. But just to make it safe for him, like I know the old the old school ways of like okay, you know, uh, I remember when the Oilers drafted Taylor Hall, and right away it was like boom, here comes Ben Eager as well. Like you got the player, and then you go and get the protection for that first overall pick. Those days are gone. But how crucial do you think it is to, for if you're the Blackhawks, make sure there are players there that can ensure that physically Connor Bedard will be okay at least in season one. I'm with you. I mean, I look at their roster from last year. You know, uh, at the top, Athanasius or Athanasius scored 40 points. He's not going to get it done. Radish, uh, you know, Jones, Johnson, Pays is on his way out. So. You know, is a Milan, a Milan Lucic who's floating around out there in free agency, is that a guy that you want to maybe uh, go take a look at? He's got enough legs in his game, I think, to play um, a depth role, especially in a rebuilding team. Um, I think you're onto something. They're going to have to add some veteran guys to surround not only Bedard, but any of the other younger talent that they have uh, growing into the organization. So they're, they're a curious team, Jeff. Like, they, there's no real structure one way or the other. <laughs> um, to identify what you know, what would you say the Chicago Blackhawks are right now? I'm really not too sure, right? So um, I think that you're onto something yeah. there. It, it would definitely benefit the, the player. It's going to benefit him and, and other youngsters as they uh, grow into the uh, the NHL. We'll see what happens. This is a curious and exciting time, certainly for the Blackhawks. I, I got to tell you, Boogs, like I, I felt, I felt pretty bad for the Anaheim Ducks yesterday. You know, they, yeah. uh, they, they missed out the, the lottery for Sidney Crosby in 2005, and you know, for and interestingly enough, it was the um, at that point late the the now late owner Bill Wirtz. You know, Ron McLean has talked about this plenty. Um, you know, after you know the lottery balls fall and it's. Uh, it, it ends up being the uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins that get first overall pick. Bill Wirtz starts saying justice, justice, and no one really knows what he meant. Um, and even it's one of the you know, enduring draft mysteries or, or lottery mysteries to this day. Um, and now Chicago gets first overall, and the Anaheim Ducks fall to number two, comma again. Um, but in any other season, Adam Fantilli probably goes first overall. Or am I being too quick? in assuming that the Anaheim Ducks will take Adam Fantilli. Your thoughts on what Anaheim might do at number two? Well, I don't think you're being too quick at all. I think that that is the pick. I think that he earned the right to be um, a number one overall draft selection, if not for Connor Bedard this season. So I think it's a fair, uh, fair assumption for me and for you and for most of us in the world right now to think Fantilli in, uh, at number mm. two. So, um, you know what? It's it, I did feel for Anaheim. I do feel for Anaheim. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I thought that this would have been a real um, changing uh, moment for the organization. But thankfully, in this draft class, they get uh, they get a one B, if you will. And uh, and I really think that this guy can be uh, come in and be like what Getzlaff and Perry and some of these other guys were uh, value wise to the growth of the organization going forward. So I'm all in on Fantilli. Great player. You know, if you believe you win championships right down the middle of the ice, uh, goaltender and, and down the middle up front and with the center position, uh, don't look now, but the Anaheim Ducks are kind of stacked. Like, I, oh, yeah. I expect, you know, at the end of all of this, and we'll see with Fantilli, I, I look at Mason McTavish, um, and I say, like, there's a first-line center. You look at Adam Fantilli, I say, there's uh, a first-line center. All of a sudden, down the middle, like, are we going to start the comparison to the Pittsburgh Penguins with, you know, Crosby, Malkin, and Stahl, or is that too premature? Well, it might be a little bit premature, but, I mean, it, it's a fair comparison. I, I completely agree with it. I mean, you know, let's not forget that they've got some veteran, uh, you know, Henry. I, I, me, I'm curious to see what happens with Fantilli. If he comes out, like, you know he's going to the world. I'm wondering if he comes out of school in the summertime yep. and hits the NHL right away next year. So let's just say that he does do that. Well, you're looking at exactly what you just described. I mean, wow, this team, Zegers, Henrik, uh, McTavish, uh, Fantilli, um, you know, maybe Comtois comes around because he's got another uh, running mate power type of a game uh, to compliment him. Uh, mm-hmm. Frank the Tank, uh, you know, he shoots from all over the place. He might, uh, he might score. Ryan Strom 
was outstanding in the in New York before he signed that free agent deal. So it's not all bad news in in Anaheim. As a matter of fact, I think it's good news. Um, and fans really don't forget mm-hmm. can play the wing as we know, and uh, and that's a bonus. They yep. can load up a power play unit that's going to be uh, pretty exceptional. You know, it, you know, a couple of couple of teams here: um, Anaheim, who drafts second, and Columbus, who drafts third. Um, and I, I know the teams are still waiting to see what happens. You know, by the end of the playoffs, and other other people being, you know, uh, other coaches being uh, shaken free here from from their organizations. Um, but I'm firmly of the belief that a couple of teams, and I, I think Anaheim and Columbus might be Exhibit A and Exhibit B, have while not completely paused their search for a head coach. I think that their head coaching, uh, their head coaching hunt. Um, has kind of been on hold a little bit until they found out, you know, what was going to happen at the draft. Like if Anaheim goes first overall, how much does that affect Pat Verbeek on his decision for the next head coach? And ditto for the Columbus Blue Jackets, if they would have been successful uh, and landed the first overall pick, you know, who does Yarmo hire uh, as his next uh, as his next head coach? Is that does that resonate with you and your your experience in the NHL? Yeah, one hundred percent it does because depending on the strategy of your owner and then, of course, your general manager. So, like, let's look at Chicago with Luke Richardson. Nobody's going to suggest for one second yep. that Luke Richardson isn't the right coach for this young crop in Chicago. He got everything he could have out of yep. that group. So, going forward, I still think they're going to be mediocre at best. So, he's still a good fit for them. If you have an owner, a general manager, who thinks that when you get a high pick like Van Tilly, that, oh, geez, now we're going to be, you know, over the top or getting closer to being over the top sooner than later – that's when you start seeing some of the more um, uh, the puzzle fits differently for the, those types of strategies, because now you're looking at maybe a coach that, yep. that can get them over the top in playoffs compared to a coach who can develop talent uh, and has a, a longer runway that way. So yeah, I've lived through that. Um, I've lived through that in, in Florida, you know, when we brought in uh, Joel at the end there, um, you know, that we yep. thought we were ready to go to another level and, and he was definitely part of that equation, obviously. Um, so you're, you're absolutely correct. That's, that's definitely part of the strategy, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that turns out. How high can Leo Carlson go, uh, the Swedish winger, and can it be as high as number three to Columbus? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, the, the thing with Carlson, another big body that can play the middle as well, right? So um, when he's, this, is, this is a guy that's... Um, um, he's not Alexander Barkov, so I don't want anybody to misunderstand this. But when you watch Barky play, he's like a cerebral, cerebral player. He's like 200-foot guy yep. above the play. You see how responsible he is. And he's not necessarily overwhelming off the rush, but he gets to the edge. He protects it with that big frame, and, and he makes plays. Carlson is a lot like that. So mm. he's a big body that's not going to be dash and dart like a McKinnon or anything. But, boy, does he play the game the right way. Leans distributor more than shooter. And he's the type of guy, Jeff, that like when the game gets hard along the boards, he takes he can take two checks, absorb contact, extend a play to open space. Now that he's absorbed two guys off the puck, you know it opens up space for other people. So um, I think it's a great fit for uh, for Columbus. That's where I would lean if I were them, and uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't. You know, one of the things that I find really intriguing, and I'm talking to Jason Bukla, him and Sam Cosentino have their, their top 16 mock out right now at sportsnet.ca, is, and I'm always curious about where everyone places this player, uh, how far down does Matvey Michkov go? And if all things being equal and he was able to come over to North America uh, next season, he'd go much higher. But you have him in at eight. Uh, with the Washington Capitals. Now, he's not coming in for a number of years. Why Washington, other than perhaps the obvious, and that's they've always been warm to having Russian hockey players? So, full disclosure, on my personal list, I have him at four. Um, you know, because, and he's probably really? to be on, yeah, on my personal list, I have him at four. And so, if, if you don't mind me taking 30 seconds to tell you, if I was the Montreal Canadiens, yeah, if I was the Montreal Canadiens, with all of uh, the talent that I have coming in the system and the fact that my general manager was a very reputable uh, agent in the past lifetime, um, and they got that uh, mm-hmm. Florida pick in the first round as well, I would roll the dice on Mitchkoff 
in Montreal. And they've got some roots, uh, the Canadians, as an organization in Montreal, or pardon me, in Russia, with some high-end former Russian players like that played in Montreal. You know, and, and don't underestimate the reach of veteran guys when they go back home and they say how great a, you know, an experience was to play for the Montreal Canadiens. I would roll the dice at five. Now, having said that, uh, in our mock, we had him going to Washington, and, and I think you know why. You kind of touched on it briefly there. Um, the yeah. Washington Capitals have historically one of the best relationships with players coming out of Russia. And the fact that Ovi's still there and uh, performing at a high level, I see that the Capitals will be able to get him out of that contract sooner than later compared to some other franchises in the league. Uh, politics enter into these types of decisions. Um, he's just way too good to, to go past eight. He's way too good. Who's the most intriguing? Mitch Koff is probably the most intriguing prospect. Like, hey, actually, before I before I ask you this, and I'm, geez, I'm already getting heavy on time with you, Boog, so I always run out of time when I'm with you. Um, if everything were equal and Mitch Koff were available to come to North America as early as next season, how high would he be in the draft? Two. He would be number two in the draft. He's that good. And he's scored at a historical rate in the uh, in the KHL for a young player. He's an absolutely dynamic, skilled player. Um, some people might still lead Fantilli, but on my list, he would be two. He only dropped the four on my list due to the uh, scenario. Right. Um, exactly. Okay, I got time for one last question here with you. Which which team intrigues you the most uh, in the in the top ten? Which uh, w- with the direction they may end up going with? Well, I'm going to say Montreal with uh, Mitchkoff, or if they don't go to Mitchkoff, if uh, Will Smith is gone, do they go to Leonard or Ryan Leonard? There's another one though here. Philly's Philly uh, Philly has a lot of work to do. I think we both would agree on that. So when it gets yeah. down to their slot in seven at the seven hole. Um, I think there's a lot of great players in that range. And I, that's where I'm going to start uh, when you and I are in Nashville. We'll talk to each other. That's going to be a target team for the, the first trade back. Real solid trade back in the first round to pick up an extra pick in the second that they don't have um, mm. because they, they need more capital. They need more depth. And if they trade on a seven to move one or two slots down, they're still going to get a great player. And I anticipate them picking up another pick in the second round. So things could start to go sideways definitely in the top 10 in terms of uh, trade backs, uh, maybe trade ups, but I'm leaning trade backs. And, and that's a team I'm keeping a close eye on. I love it. Uh, you're the best, Books. Uh, Jason Bukla, uh, former Panthers director of amateur scouting with the Sports Center for a couple of seasons, along with uh, Sam Cosentino. The top 16 mock is out now at sportsnet.ca. Thanks as always, Books. You be well. Okay, pal. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. There he is, Jason Buchel. I want to thank him for stopping by. Elliot Friedman, Mark Lazarus, Shannon Goldman as well. Maddie, Lance, Jen, thank you. Back tomorrow.